You join us on a, an interesting Sunday. Um, this Sunday, like uh, Dean was saying, is the AGM. And uh, if you grow up in any other tradition, you may not have any idea what that means. It's also Thunder Sunday. <laughs> what in the world? Usually that's at the end when they're trying to get us to wrap up down here. Looks like they want to cut things short early. Uh, the AGM is the annual general meeting. Uh, it's, uh, it's a meeting that we have as a church about kind of businessy things where we vote on things and such. So if you are joining us for the first time, you're welcome to stay for that. We have food for you uh, and uh, you'll get to hang around, have some, have some lunch together and get a better feel of who we are as a family. Um, you're welcome to do that. Today, I'm also, uh, I'm going to give you a chance to get updated on what we've been talking about. And what we've been doing as a church, we've been talking for a little while about a direction that we're heading, and we've been establishing a foundation for the season that we're in and the season that we're heading into as a church. And uh, a lot of that has been a theoretical foundation, and there's a purpose to that. The purpose is that uh, when we, we want to set up a, a framework of how we think about discipleship so that when we go into the next season that we're right at the beginning of, uh, it, it makes sense to us. We understand why we're doing the things that, that we do. The season that's ahead of us as a church is going to be a season that is characterized by discipleship to Jesus in community. And at Southside, when we use the language of discipleship, many of you guys grew up in church, you would recognize that word. Uh, some people mean different things by it. What we mean by discipleship is, uh, is, is we mean to uh, follow in the ways of Jesus and to become more like Jesus. We don't just mean learning about Jesus. and We don't just mean um, learning more doctrine or fine-tuning our perspective about God. Uh, we actually mean becoming like our Savior. When we use the language of discipleship, we actually uh, trace it back to Jesus' use of discipleship. Uh, Jesus uh, used the language of discipleship for his first followers. In the uh, first century, Jesus uh, was a, a rabbi. He was more than a rabbi, but he was not less than a rabbi. And in the first century, if a rabbi used the language of a disciple, they were referring to something very uh, specific. So Jesus, as a first century rabbi, was inviting people to follow him, and he called them his disciples. And what they were going to do was they were going to apprentice under him. They were going to um, kind of like train under him. It wasn't just a, yeah, I associate with that guy. He's a cool guy. I agree with what he says. It was actually a, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow this person with my life and try to emulate their life. I want my life to look like their life. That's what Jesus would have meant by um, calling people to discipleship under him. And so uh, the, the language that we've been using here at Southside is when we talk about discipleship, what we're talking about is um, spending time with Jesus, so being with Jesus in order to become like Jesus, in order to live like Jesus would live if he was you or if he was me or if he was here in Milton, Ontario in the 21st century. That's what we mean by discipleship, and that's kind of the, the journey that we're on. Our, our journey is, is to be embodied representatives of Jesus, not just people who raise our hand and say, I like that guy, I think he did great stuff, and I somewhat agree with him and his worldview about things. It really means to become like him, for, for Jesus to be formed in us. Now, uh, we in the 21st century West, uh, in a very individualistic culture, uh, we don't teach each other to become like other people. You're laughing because you're hearing the thunder. It's Thunder Sunday. It's okay. We're going to deal with it. We're going to roll with it. It's good. 
the Rolling Thunder. Can we play that after at the end of the service today? There's a song with that, isn't there? We, um, we in the West, we're so individualistic. Um, the whole idea of becoming somebody else, we're like, no, 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 no. You just become you. You become your true self. Don't be like anybody else. Don't become anybody else. Just become the truest version of you. That's kind of the, the ethic of our day. It hasn't been the ethic of most people's day, but it is the ethic of our day. So I want to clarify something so we don't get lost in the weeds. Uh, we believe that we become our best and our true selves as Christ is formed in us. The scripture is very clear about that. That is the Christian ethic. And so it's not that it's not that you don't have a unique role to play in the world. You do. And it's not that you don't have a unique self that was created specific and uniquely by God. You are and you have. And that best version of you is a version where Christ is actually formed in you. The goal of your individuality is actually to bring Christ to your unique sphere of influence, to be the representative of Jesus in your specific and unique world with your specific and unique set of giftings and skills and likes and all that. So the goal of your life is to become like Jesus in order to leave his unique mark on the world through you. That's at least a, it's a, it's a Christian worldview. That's what it means to be a Christian. At Southside and most other churches in Milton, we, this, we agree on this for the most part. We might use different language, but for the most part, we agree that this is the call to life. We, we, we literally believe that spending time with Jesus m- means that we become like him. And, and when we become like him, the kingdom that Jesus is the king of actually grows in us and then through us to the community around us. That's when you hear the kingdom language, that's what we mean. In doing so, we believe that our true identity, our true destiny, our true calling leaving our true and unique mark on the world and fulfilling um, God's role in the grand story of history is done through this, through this process. This is the life that Jesus promises. This is life and life to the full. This is what eternal life is. It's not, uh, it's not anything other than that. That's what the life of Jesus is summed up. This is the blessed life. This is what it means to be blessed. And this is love, we believe. This is where we... Um, This is where we find true love. And this is where we become true love because we believe Jesus is the perfect representation of that. Now, I don't assume that everybody in the room is on the same page about this. I don't assume that everybody agrees with this. I don't assume everybody believes this. I don't assume everybody understands it. Me, myself, I'm still working this out. I'm still trying to understand it. I'm still making sense of it. I'm still putting it into practice. There's pieces of it that I'm still trying to fit together. So I don't want to assume that. But what is true is that, um, that this is not up for debate in respect to what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a disciple and follower of Jesus. There may be different semantics or different words that we use, but this, this is what Christian discipleship is. This is what it means to be a Christian. And that's why we want to explore it and we want to go deeper into it and we want to navigate that together because I believe here if we identify with Jesus and this is the pursuit of our life together. We've been talking about some barriers to this, and uh, I understand that, that, that there are different barriers for everybody in their life in regards to this discipleship journey. You've raised your hand, you say, I identify with Jesus, I'm a Christian person, or I want to be. There's all sorts of barriers to living out this life, and you would know them very well because you struggle every single day to live into this identity as a Christian, to put on Jesus, to spend time with God, to become like Jesus. One of those barriers may be the amount of faith that you have. I don't assume we all have the same level of faith. I think most people are in a very different place 
than one another in regards to the faith in this truth and reality that we have. One of the barriers to actually living this out is the amount of knowledge that we've been privy to. We all grew up with different households and in different environments and at different schools and in different cultures. And so we all have different sets of information that are in our minds, different amounts of knowledge. There's competing ideas and worldviews that we have to contemplate and wrestle with. And that's a barrier to living this in its fullness. It's also the lifestyle that we want. You may sound, and you may hear about Jesus, you may be like, yeah, I want that, the Jesus thing sounds really good to me. And then you start living it out and you go, oh, it cost me something. It cost me something I really like. It cost me something I really enjoy. Oh, it actually means I don't do that anymore. It means I don't enjoy that the same way anymore. It means I don't pursue that the same way anymore. It's the cost of lifestyle. One of the barriers is just personal hurt and pain and trauma. Pastor, uh, or Dean was talking about this morning, just everybody's dealing with some different stuff. And a lot, of those, a lot of that pain and suffering that we're experiencing in different seasons gets in the way of our discipleship to Jesus, unforeseen circumstances. All those things are true, and they're all worth exploring together in community. One of the things that we focused on here over the last couple of months is one of the major barriers to becoming like Jesus. And that has been the barrier of time. The barrier of busyness, the barrier of hurry, the barrier of time. And so what I'm going to spend the rest of the morning doing is just reminding us of the things that we've said over the last quite a few months in regards to that barrier, because we believe one of our strong convictions is that that is one of the greatest barriers to growing in Jesus and growing in our discipleship to Jesus, is how busy we are, how hurried we are, and how distracted we are. We've been calling this teaching season the speed of love. And I've actually, um, the more that we've used it, the more it's resonated with me. I don't know about you, but the more that we've talked about it and more angles we've looked at it, the more that it's made sense and it sits with me pretty deeply. I hope that's true of you as well. We've been talking about the speed of which we live and how it gets in the way of our time with Jesus, how it prevents us from spending time with Jesus, how it changes our priorities and impacts our calendars and distracts us from the primary things that we feel like we're called to. In week one of this, we were talking about how Jesus invites us to a life that isn't so busy, isn't so hurried, isn't so anxious, isn't so burdened. In Matthew chapter 11, we're going to put it on the screen for you here. In Matthew chapter 11, these are the words of Jesus, and we kind of started with this. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says if we trust him at his word and we let our calendars reflect that, then we'll actually find rest for our souls. We talked a lot over the summer about anxiousness and becoming a non-anxious presence. And the idea that life in Jesus is actually supposed to provide us rest and peace is supposed to uh, lift the burden, not create more burden. For some of us, our Christian life has just been a greater burden. <laughs> Walking away from faith for some people felt like it was finally they're finding rest, and that's, that's a tragedy. Life in Jesus is a life of rest. So maybe we can call this the speed of rest. The speed of rest is what we talked about earlier on. Following that teaching, Pastor Ian, he walked us through... Um, John chapter 15, and he did so brilliantly. I'll never forget a few um, concepts that Pastor Ian highlighted in that teaching earlier in January. In John 15, Jesus talks about 
the vine and the branches and describes the concept of abiding in God in order for fruit to be produced, in order for you to be able to bear fruit that is produced. So I'm just going to read from you here in John chapter 15. It's going to be on the screens again. We'll read this quick. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown to the fire, and burn. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. One of the concepts that Pastor Ian drew our attention to was the fact that the branches don't produce the fruit. The branches bear the fruit. So it's again another picture. It's a beautiful picture of how we are just vessels for what God wants to do in the world. We are vessels of the fruit that God wants to bring to the world. He brings the kingdom of God and the fruit of the kingdom through us, and we bear the weight of it. And to bear the weight of it, it just means that it's, it comes through us, and through our abiding with Jesus, we can more effectively bear that weight. That's what it means for fruit to grow in our life and fruit to grow in the community to be produced. And it happens with and through us, is what Jesus teaches. It's a powerful image. And then Pastor Ian taught us that it, what it means to abide and to remain. And this, this like I said, this will stick with me forever. And it, it's not left my mind in thinking about this. Pastor Ian used the language of home. Do you remember that, if you were here? The speed of home. He used the language of home. To abide and an abode, it's the same kind of word. It means it comes from the word of home. And he used the language of making our homes in God. And the idea was that, you, don't you long for a home? Don't you long for, like, just being present at home? Isn't that one of your greatest longings of life, to just be settled and find rest on your couch in your living room, right? And the idea with Jesus is that Jesus is our home, and as he becomes our home, to abide in him, to remain in him, is to make our home in Jesus with Christ, to pull up a seat on, on his couch and sit next to him and just learn from him as our rabbi. That picture of the rabbi becomes clear once again. The invitation that week was to make our homes in Christ. And Pastor Ian reminded us that the ancient and contemporary spiritual practices and disciplines of prayer, meditation, and Sabbath, and fasting, and all the others, they're a means to making our home in Christ. And that's why we're heading in the direction that we're heading. So the speed of home we talked about. Following that Sunday, we spent some time in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we looked at a very familiar story of the Good Samaritan. It's a great story. This is another teaching of Jesus. And I want to read for you here in a second what's going on. But basically leading up to this moment, there's an expert in the law, maybe a Pharisee, maybe not, but an expert in the law who challenged Jesus and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Some of you guys might be coming this morning with that very question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And what he meant by that is, what, is it, what do I need to do in order to make sure I have a place in the kingdom that we're all expecting is going to come? Because I want to be there. I want to live in that. All the promises of the kingdom, they all sound so great. I want to be there. What does it take to be there? And this is Jesus' response. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the question was, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells this brilliant, brilliant story. I'll read it for us. I'm going to start in verse 30. 
He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense. There's three things that we pulled from this story as a recap. In regards to the pace in which the Samaritan lived. The first thing that we notice about neighborly love and the speed of love is that it required compassion. Samaritan had to be slow enough to notice. He had to be slow enough to listen. And he had to be slow enough to feel compassion. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times where I just like, you hear a million things and you just don't feel anything at all. It's just so, there's so much bad news in the world. There's so much pain in the world, so much suffering. And we're not just exposed to it around us in our community. We're exposed to it all over the world. I don't know about you, but sometimes I actually feel ashamed for the lack of compassion that I feel when I hear some of these things. I'm just inundated with it. It's just the pace of life is so fast and there's so much information. There's so much tragedy around the world. I just don't feel, I don't stop to feel any of it. Sometimes it takes going to another place in the world and being present there to actually feel it. You feel the weight of it. Then you hear the stories and you can feel it. Slow enough to feel compassion. The second thing that we noted about the story was slow enough to have margin in his life, space and time for interruption. The other two guys, they were pretty busy. Imagine the Samaritan was too. Because he wasn't a poor man. The Samaritan was a wealthy man. He probably had work and places to go and important people to see. But he was living at a pace that was slow enough to have the margin to step aside and be interrupted. And the third thing that we noted from the story was resources. The Samaritan had time and money to make a difference. He wasn't some lazy dude with no job, no money, and nothing better to do. He was a hardworking man. He had places to go. He left the stranger at the inn to go probably do more work and then to come back and care for him further. He had the resources to help. And he was able to make a real difference because of that. So compassion, margin, and resources, and the time required for all those. It's a weird, it's a weird dichotomy between having time for interruption and margin and having time and putting in time and energy and living at a pace that you're able to actually earn resources or, or, or accumulate resources to be able to help. And that's the balance there. I found that interesting. So we call this the speed of neighboring is what we called this. At the end of January, we had our um, superintendent for our district named Ian Trigg. He came and he taught. He got off a plane the night before from the other side of the world and he joined us here. It was awesome. We were so thankful to have him. He taught from Mark chapter 135. And if you were able to hear him that Sunday, for those of you who were here, it was really quiet. Um, and so you may have missed a few things because of the, the, how loud it was. But I wanted to remind you of kind of the primary things that he said because they were very thoughtful and worth considering. He invited us to, um, to meditate on Mark 135. It says this. This is Jesus and what Jesus did. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and he left the house and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. 
In this house, he had disciples living with him because disciples were being disciples and they were living with him and they were following him and they were going with him places. And he lived at such a pace that afforded him the time to wake up early before anyone else, before it was still dark. He left the house and went off to a solitary place to be with his father and pray. One of the main thoughts that Pastor Ian left us with that day was that the place of intimacy is what propels us to the place of influence. The place of intimacy propels us to the place of influence. Once again, the place of influence, the place of influencing our sphere of influence with Christ formed in us starts with the place of intimacy and closeness with God, being with Jesus in order to become like Jesus and do the things that he would do. The God of the universe incarnate through Jesus Christ started his day with quiet time with God. And the encouragement from that Sunday from Pastor Ian was to consider carving out the margin in our life to also live the way that Jesus lived, which is starting our days with God, starting our days with intimacy with God in order to make the impact that we're called to. It's a great encouragement. He also said this. This was an interesting thought he left us with. He said, you can't cultivate an authentic soul in a hurry. And I don't know about you, but I find that to be more and more true every day. So maybe we can call that Sunday the speed of influence or the speed of intimacy. I found it impactful. On February 5th, we spent time talking about family and the Jesus ethic for it. We read in Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to read us 46 through 50, but uh, 48 through 50 will be on the screen. It says this, While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and his brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. Somebody told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And Jesus replied, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is brother and sister er, and mother. We talked a lot on that Sunday about individualism and collectivism and how we are hyper-individualistic and most human cultures have been hyper-collectivistic and there's probably some kind of in-between that we're invited to, treating one another like family taking personal responsibility at the same time as taking responsibility for the collective. We talked a lot about Jesus' radical call to family. And then we talked about the speed in which family lives. And we said that the speed of family is the speed of presence. There's no family without presence. There's no family without time. There's no family in a hurry. The speed of presence requires gentleness, the speed of gentleness, the speed of generosity, the speed of patience. And on that Sunday, we introduced the idea of communities at Southside. We talked about communities at Southside are going to be a midweek gathering in homes around dinner tables. We are going to practice the speed of presence. We are going to carve out a time in our week, not to add something to your week, but to say, hey, let's make this a priority and practice presence with one another, presence with the family of God. That's what we're inviting people into. The speed of family means the speed of genuine community. That's what it means. And so that's, I think, the invite to our church going into the season. And those are launching, some of them are launching this Wednesday. One of them launched already a couple weeks ago on Wednesday. If you want to know more about it, you can come hit me up, find me. We've got three of them launching, maybe a fourth if we can find a group to do it. And uh, they're, uh, they're all over the town of Milton. From there, we jump to the Apostle Paul's teaching in the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, 
Paul talks about the theology of the church and the theology of the body, and then he goes on to say, this is what it looks like. This is what we should do, and this is what we shouldn't do. And I'm going to read a little piece of that from verse 1 to 3. It says in Ephesians 4, verse 1 to 3, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit to the bond of peace. There's a lot more than uh, verse 1 to 3 that we read, and I encourage you to read the whole book that week. We noted three primary results of true family-like Christian community that Paul kind of highlights in this text here. The first was unity. We said that the consequence of genuine Christian community living like the family of God is unity. When we avoid family-level community, we miss out on family-level unity. It might feel a, a, kind of a, a surface-level unity, but anything can come and disrupt that very easily if we don't experience the type of unity that is family. The second thing we said was maturity. We miss out on maturity. We said as if we neglect Christian community, we further prevent maturity in Christ, both for you individually and for those around you and the body together. as a negative impact. Genuine Christian community is the means towards maturity in Christ, or one of the primary ones. And the third we said was awareness of truth. We cannot gain clarity and confidence about truth without submitting to one another in love. If we're on our own to determine truth from within side, we get all these weird ideas, don't we? We said that the life that is worth, uh, worth the calling that we've received is uh, the life of discipleship to Jesus and includes living at a pace that affords genuine community. And then last week, I just want to remind us what we said last week. Last week, we were called to the speed of authenticity. We looked at the story of Adam and Eve, and we highlighted their immediate response to eating the fruit. Their immediate response to eating the fruit was that they hid. It was shame. They were afraid. They covered themselves, and they hid from God. We see this in Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 through 10 here for us. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, even though God told her not to, and she, it was also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man said, Where are you? And Adam replied, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. One of the questions that we asked last week is, um, in what ways do we hide? And through the lens that we've been talking about, one of the questions was, is the pace in which you're living really just hiding? Are the shows that you continue to dive into a means to hiding? Is the work that you need to keep doing and take on and extra hours to put in? Is it needed or is it hiding? Is the commitments to this ministry thing and this tool and this activity and this is, this, is this, is this something we need or are we hiding? And it's not always a means to hide, but we very easily use these things as a means to hide. Pete Scazzaro, he says three things that we primarily use to hide behind. He says we hide behind our performance, we hide behind possessions, and we hide behind sta uh, status or image. The question last week was, are you hiding? Is the pace in which you're living just hiding? And then 
And then what are you hiding from? This is a follow-up question. And that's not a conversation to have in a public forum. That's a conversation to have around a dinner table with friends and family. That's the space for that conversation. So we asked that question, and then we said, this is the invitation. This is the invitation from God. The invitation from God in his word is an invitation to live at the speed of authenticity. It's an invitation to slow down enough to self-audit, to slow down enough and explore and process our feelings, to slow down enough to be present with others, to slow down enough to grow in awareness of God, and particularly slow down enough to walk intentionally in light. And then we did a meditation on 1 John 1 and 2, considering the light language as a means to authenticity. That God knows all the stuff in you. He knows the dark places. He knows the shame and the reason for the shame. He's aware of it. He sees it for what it is. And when we shine light on that, then we can live authentically. We can live in the light, our whole self. We're not hiding anything. There's nothing to be ashamed of. That's the invitation. But we have to live slow enough at the speed of God's grace in order to experience that. That's what we said last week. I want to spend the time this morning reminding us of these things because, first of all, I forget things I say 30 minutes after I say them. So if you ask me what we talked about the last two months, I would be scrambling my way through it. I'd probably be like, Ian said something really good on home. It was great. We need to be reminded of these things. And the reason why is because they are a foundation for a lifestyle that we're being invited into. Like I said, we're starting communities this week, or some have already started. And within communities, we're going to be starting a discipleship curriculum. At the church, we're going to be talking on Sunday mornings about some spiritual practices and disciplines over the next little while. We're going to start with Sabbath, and in communities, we're going to start with Sabbath, and we're going to explore it quite deeply and start growing intentionally with one another toward the end of growing in these spiritual practices and disciplines. And that's going to be a little while. We've actually been laying the theoretical foundation since the summer. We, said, talk, we talked about becoming a non-anxious presence. And there's a framework there that we've established that has led us to this point. And it does feel like at this AGM, we're at the beginning of an even new season. It just feels like we get these new seasons, these fresh seasons over and over again. It feels like that. And that new season is a season that will be characterized, like I said, by discipleship within Christian community. We're going to spend the next few months talking about Sabbath, and we're going to spend the next few months talking about prayer. And we're not going to master them. We're going to start somewhere. And so the invitation, like we've said, is to join us on that journey. We're going to invite you to uh, reprioritize your life for the sake of abiding in Jesus. We're going to invite you to grow in the practices and spiritual disciplines that are a way to find home in Jesus. Whether you've been following Jesus for zero seconds or for 50 years, there's growth because God's got way more for you ahead of you. We're going to help one another in community take steps towards our discipleship. We're going to share what God's doing with and through our renewed and refreshed focus on him. And I believe that all that is going to allow us to bear greater fruit here in Milton and beyond, seeing the kingdom of God come in Milton as it is in heaven. Today we have the great privilege of a meeting together as a church family in the AGM. It feels like a family meeting. If you've been here for any amount of time and it doesn't feel like family, you're not doing it right yet. Come talk to me. Because this feels like a family meeting. It really does. 
And, and I don't just say that casually. This feels like family. We've invited everybody to stay and listen in on the conversation. Some things may be different to you. Some of it may be boring to you, but that's what family conversations are like. My hope is that we see this family conversation that we're about to go into after we sing a song and spend a little bit of time eating together. My hope is that we see the decisions on budgets and the decisions on elders as a means to living into the season that we're called to. I really believe that decisions that we make with budgets and with elders and with leadership and decisions as a church are the kinds of things that set up a framework for the discipleship that we're being invited into. The band, you guys can come up because we're going to sing a song here in a minute. My hope My hope is that um, whether it's new to you or it's not, my hope is that that today or the season is um, marks a moment for you where the foundation of your life becomes more built on the person of Jesus and of life in Jesus and of time with Jesus. My hope is that today and from here is an opportunity for you to, um, to decide, yeah, I need to spend more time with God. I want to listen to God. I want to hear God. I don't want to live the life he wants me to live. My hope is as a church that we don't do things for the organization. My hope is for the church that you get a chance to be reminded that God wants to speak to you. He has a life for you. He has a plan for you. He's got a direction for you. And that we together are here to help facilitate that relationship so that you can more truly live in the light of God, that you can more consistently spend time with God, that Christ can be more fully formed in you, and that your life becomes more the life of Jesus living through you that it was always intended to be. That's my hope. And we just believe that this is the way that we may be getting there together here in Milton in the 21st century. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to sing. I told you I'd finish on a high note, but (laughs) whatever. (laughs) We're going to sing a fun song, because we should. God, the future that you have for us is actually an amazing adventure. Like it's, for those who are here who, who don't have a lot of history with you, and who don't understand the crazy things that you invite us into, the life that you call us to, the things you fight with us to stop doing so that we can experience life and freedom, the, the adventure that you have for us in serving others and serving our community and being your presence wherever we go is an amazing adventure. 
It's so fun. It's so life-giving. It brings so much peace. It is so much better than the hamster wheel, the grind of hiding ourselves and uh, with, with performance, with status. It's so much better than living with shame and darkness and, and keeping that from people. Living in the light is such an amazing life, God. And, and we, a lot of us have experienced glimpses of it, and we want to experience more glimpses of it. We want to taste your kingdom in our life and in our community. We want to see it grow. And we believe that it will. To be a Christian is to believe that it will through spending time with you, through growing with you and growing with one another and becoming more like you. That's an amazing, exciting thing. The kinds of things that you will use this community to do in the next 10 years is so beyond our imagination. We can't even have vision for it because it's, it'll spread across the world. It'll be all over the world. It'll be in every corner of our community that we don't even recognize exists today. That's an amazing thing to consider. And we're also just, um, with all that excitement, for, for me personally, and I hope for others, the adventure that we can be on, with all that also comes the, um, just like the sincere gratitude for the fact that you've brought us here today to where we are, that you have us in your hand, that we can live with your mercy and your grace and your love and the freedom that comes from that, that there's a safe community to do that alongside and with. We thank you for that. We don't take that for granted. That is a gift of grace from you. Thank you for this meal that we're about to have as a family and a community. We want to give you all the honor and the glory and the praise for the conversation we're going to have in the AGM and for the dinner table that will be set for us together, the lunch table. Thank you for that. All the praise goes to you, Jesus. In your name, Jesus. Amen.